Welcome, everyone. We are continuing our expedition through the book of Philippians. Guess what? We have two more sermons and we're done with the book of Philippians. So how about that, right? Another, uh, another book that we've been able to, by God's grace, go through here in, in our church, which is the Lord's Church. So if you're able to stand, please stand for the reading of God's word. We're going through Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 through 20. The word of the Lord reads as follows. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we look to this text in which Paul is showing gratitude and admonishing the Philippians for their giving, I ask, Lord, that you may apply this to us, to our lives, to our church, to those around us, that we may also see your provision through your people and that we would break out into praise for you as Paul did here in this last verse that we just read. For as your people are provided for, glory and honor are to given to you. We pray that would be the understanding for us as we learn and as we apply your word in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. All right. So chapter four, you may be seated. Thank you. Um, kicked off with Paul reminding the Philippians to stand firm in Christ, to hold the line, and then he goes on to ensure that they know that Paul is content in his current situation, even though he's writing to them from jail, and Paul is going through various afflictions. He then tells the Philippians, just as I am content, you're to be content as well, right? We spoke about that last week. And when Paul talks about being content, it's because he is fulfilled spiritually, and because of that, he can be content in, in the material, in the provision that has been given to him. Today, what we're looking at here in this text is the aspect of the everyday needs of a believer, the everyday needs of a church the everyday needs of a ministry that is carrying forth the gospel. In this case, Paul, from the moment he began to plant those churches with him and the disciples that were with him, they needed provision, right? We live in a world that is a material world. We need to eat. We need to clothe ourselves. We need to transport ourselves. Uh, we need shelter, right? And, and all those things inevitably require provision they require money right so that's why i've titled this sermon partnering with the gospel and to that we should ask ourselves are we partnering with the gospel let me just quickly say a, a funny but yet illuminating anecdote there was a dear brother in christ who really wanted his friend to come to service and come on, you know, please come to church with me. It'll be, it'll be edifying. Uh, it's going to be good for you. And the friend always refused to go because he had many grievances against the church and religion and the standard objections of non-believers. One of his main objections was that all the church cares about money. 
And he assured him, no, that's not what we care about. We care about the gospel. Just come with me. You're going to like it. Lo and behold, the day that his friend actually came to church, guess what the message was on? Money, right? So, ah, here it is, right? I knew it. So, my friends, my brothers and sisters, if you are here today, this is not what we preach on every time we're here. We believe in expository preaching. We take the Word of God as it comes and we preach through every verse. When the topic of money comes up, which actually comes out quite a bit, the issue of stewardship, in order for us to be respectful and honoring of God's Word, we have to preach on what the Scriptures brings us next. Amen. And in that case, is the partnership, our ally, us, us becoming allies to the Gospel. And that is in the sense that a ministry, a church, needs provision in order to carry forth the work of the gospel. So with that, let me clarify what we don't mean when we say partnering with the gospel. What we don't mean as a church and as believers, we don't mean that we don't mean that we need to help God. God doesn't need our help. Okay? God has plentiful. Uh, God doesn't go around begging for provision. God is the owner of all riches. And in order for the gospel message to go forth, he uses his people that provide and cheerfully supplement the needs of other believers and the needs of a church that is caring for the gospel. So make that clear. We don't mean that God needs your help. He doesn't need you. Okay? What we do mean is that God, through His providence, through what He has decreed, He uses His church, His people, to carry forth His plan of salvation in order to make that um, effective and have people go out and preach. Those people need provision because as human beings, we need food again, right? We need transportation. We need, uh, in the case of missionaries, um, they need to take care of their families. So God uses his people to sustain his people, to do his work. Paul says in this message, therefore, that the church of Philippi has partnered with him in his ministry. Partnered. That word there in the Greek, partnered, it means that they have allied themselves with Paul. They have joined themselves by contributing. Okay, that's what it means. Someone is partnering. I become an ally. And I contribute to the work that is being done. The church of Philippi had done just that. And here it's talking about the necessary and daily provisions for Paul. For what he needed in order to carry forth his message of the gospel. As well as for his provision while he is in prison. Right? As we recall the last sermon that we went through last week. We showed how in those times... The prisoner was responsible for providing for himself or herself, right? It's not like the prison system we have now that, uh, to some extent, right, you kind of get provided for. That was not the case there. So the Church of Philippi, whether Paul was in jail or not, they had given to him. Now, unfortunately, the reality that provision is needed... And that the church of God, the people of God will give. It is very unfortunate that that truth has been abused and twisted, corrupted in many Christian circles in order to extract money from people and enriching those that are in control of that so-called ministry. Many times we hear the threats that if you don't give to God, you are robbing God. If you don't give to God, God is not going to bless you. Right? I even sounded like a televangelist by saying that. But that's what you hear. You hear that over and over. So let us have this in mind as we go through this message. A couple of things. First, we, there is no such thing as being obligated to partner in the gospel. No such thing for us to feel guilt-tripped into partnering with the gospel. But it's not biblical. Don't ever be fooled through any ministry to compel you to give. 
One of the lessons that I learned from the first pastor I was under is that he would always say, where God leads, he provides. Okay? God doesn't fail. If a ministry comes to an end or funds dry up and that ministry is no longer there, it is God's will to be that way. God does not fail. God does not need help. And God doesn't run out of funds. Where God leads, he will provide. Now, more specifically, for our local church, for us here at Acts Reformed Church, let us remember that no one is coerced, no one is obligated to ever partner with us. And that if we do partner with this local church, it is because of an internal conviction that the Lord has given us. As far as the donations and the contributions that are given here locally at, our, at this very church, all this goes towards expenses and or savings so that we can find a more permanent location, a building. No one in our congregation as of this day is in any type of salary nor payroll. And to some extent, that kind of puts me at ease because I can preach this message that it could be in conviction to me and to all of you without anyone claiming, well, of course, your artist is going to get more money if the church gives. Nope, that's not the case. Nobody here is under payroll or getting any gain from any financial need or financial contribution given to the church. So with that said, we are called by God to partner with the church as Paul has here commended the Philippians. And that is for the material needs of the work of the gospel. So a question for us today then is, have I, have you partnered and committed yourself to contributing to the work of the gospel? We can say, oh no, I know that's finances and that's private, this and that and the other. Well, like I said, we're going to hit it today and we're going to hit it hard because that is part of expository preaching. If I come to this text and I don't expound on it correctly, then I'm guilty of not giving you the full counsel of the gospel. And when it comes to money, it is a big tell of our maturity, of our commitment to the Lord. Because we can be intellectually very proficient in doctrine, this and the other. But when it comes to our giving, when it comes to our checkbook, the Lord knows and each of us know how committed are we to the work of the gospel. So last time, Paul told us that he was content in his circumstance. He was lacking nothing. He made that clear. And he told us that we should be content too, because if we are in Christ, we should be lacking nothing. That doesn't mean we're not going to be uncomfortable. We're not going to be uh, perhaps in some sort of need, right? Nevertheless, we are to be content. So today, we're going to look at three aspects that partnering with the gospel entails. So those three points are as follows. Partnering with the gospel involves kindness and thanksgiving. Kindness and thanksgiving. Secondly, partnering with the gospel brings blessings for everyone. For both the recipient and the giver. And ultimately, and most importantly, in partnering with the gospel, God is glorified. So we're going to see those three. Let's dig right in. First, kindness and thanksgiving in partnering with the gospel. Paul says there in verse 14 that, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Paul just came out of saying that he is satisfied. He can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. Because he is well provided for. And yet he tells the Philippians, Nevertheless, it was very kind of you to contribute for you to come and share with my trouble. When one genuinely partners with the gospel then, in giving in this aspect, it shows kindness on behalf of the giver. Right? It takes kindness. And that kindness shows itself, expresses itself specifically in giving. It shows a spirit at work in a believer. Let us look at Galatians 5.22, which talk about the, the, the fruit of the Spirit. What does it say? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, 
goodness, faithfulness. And then it goes on to verse 23, right? So one of the fruit of the, the fruit of the Spirit is shown is by kindness. This kindness is demonstrated in action, in our partnering, in our giving. In the case of the Philippians, they came and they shared in Paul's trouble. They gave of their provision to help Paul. And then, in that sense, the local church then contributed to Paul as he was in jail. It was an opportunity for the people at the church of Philippi not only to help out of their kindness, but it showed that the Spirit was at work in them. One thing is to say that we are believers, that we are saved, that we want to contribute, but do we? The Philippians did out of their kindness. So when the fruit of the Spirit is at work, then it shows to a very tangible extent the maturity of the believer, the trust of the believer that God has given me provision and therefore I can share that provision with others specifically to the needs of the church. As Christians, it is important for us to realize that signs of our maturity will show as we become more and more like Christ, as we learn more and more to abide in the things of the gospel. And one of those signs of our sanctification is our generosity. Is our kindness. Oftentimes I've also said that part of our maturity in Christ, of our sanctification, is not being easily offended. I've often spoken about that as well. In this case, another sign of our sanctification, of our growing, of our maturity, is our kindness that expresses itself in generosity, specifically to those within the church. So the Philippians show showed their kindness, right? The kindness of the givers. Now, let us take a look at the thanksgiving of the recipient, in this case, of Paul. Philippians 4, the following two verses, 15 and 16, it says, And you, Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you send me help for my needs once and again. So here Paul is recognizing that the Philippians have been partnered with him since the beginning of the ministry when Paul went to Macedonia. Let us take a quick look at Philippians 1, 3-5, which... From the very opening of the letter, in Philippians chapter 1, our recollection would now make more sense, like Paul is mentioning that from the get-go. It says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with you, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. See, from the very beginning, Paul is recognizing in thanksgiving to God that the Philippians have partnered with him from the get-go. A sign that a ministry is being good steward of the provision of God is that it, it acknowledges not only those that are giving, in this case Paul was acknowledging that the Philippians had given, but also that those that are giving are giving sacrificially. Let us expand on that a little bit here, which we're going to learn some great principles about biblical giving in the context of partnering with the church. Paul says that this happened when he left Macedonia. Macedonia encompassed a region that was relatively far from Jerusalem and included regions such as Thessalonica, Berea, Apollonia, Neapolis, and Philippi, amongst other places that we often see in Scripture in the New Testament. And this is what Paul says about that region. We're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the first five verses, which I included here in the notes. 
And let us see what Paul says about their region of Macedonia, which includes Philippi. Paul says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in the wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. All this, not as we expected. But they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then, by the will of God, to us. Such a rich passage. I know I read this before, but not until this week when I was reading, I was like, wow, this is just amazing. In short, the church is taking care of the church. And from this passage, we can then learn some principles of biblical, give, of biblical giving. Specifically, as Paul is applying it to the region of Macedonia, which the church of Philippi was part of. The first thing we see in that passage that we just read is that the first giver is always, not you, not me, the first giver is God. It says that the grace of God was given to the churches in the Macedonian region. The grace of God, the undeserved favor, saving faith, forgiving people, people growing in faith, in the knowledge of God, being in community with one another. That is all God's grace. God gave them that. And then we see that those partnering and giving have an abundance of joy. Nevertheless, it says it very clearly that while they had an abundance of joy in their partnering and their giving, they were in affliction of extreme poverty. Extreme poverty. Now, obviously, I don't know the situation of each one of us here, but I can venture to say that none of us here are suffering from extreme poverty. And if it is the case, we better step up and provide for that family or that individual here. But I would dare to say that that's not our case for any one of us here. Abundance of joy yet while they were afflicted by extreme poverty. Another principle we learn there is that giving is according to their means. Right? Obviously, you can't give what you don't have, but you have something. Giving according to their means. Not only that, but by God's grace, their sacrificial giving seemed to be even out of their means. Once they know that their provision is from God and God is faithful and they're going to be partnering with. Paul says that they didn't think it was going to be possible. All of a sudden it seems like they're giving even above their means. Because God is blessing those that partner with him in a genuine way. Another thing we learned here is that it says they had a wealth of generosity. They didn't have wealth. It says they had a wealth of generosity. Right? Many times I've been guilty of this. I've, I've said, well, you know, I'm, I'm not that wealthy. Maybe I'll be generous like if God gives me more money. That's a trap. It's, an, it's a lie. It says that these people had a wealth of generosity. Are we generous? Are you generous? Don't say ask, are you wealthy? He says, are you generous? Then it says that those that gave were giving of their own accord. It's very important. Those giving were giving of their own accord. No one is coerced to give. Here in Acts Reformed Church, we don't believe in financial pledges. Like we're going to have a goal of making this much and... We require your partnership. No, we don't do that here. Where God leads, God provides. There's an anecdote 
in one of my one of my friends where he said that when he was a kid he used to go to this church where every so often they had this giving campaigns in which the evangelist would get up there and he'll basically just go right to it and says, All right, God told me that today 20 people are going to give $1,000. Can you believe that? It's happening today still. My brothers and sisters, my friends, if you ever come even close to a so-called ministry like that, flee. Flee from the wolves. Delete you. God doesn't tell anyone for you to tell them how much they need to give. No, God doesn't do that. Nobody is coerced. Everyone that gives genuinely to God, give of their own accord. Get that? Now it says here, really, really stood out to me. We learned that these people in Macedonia, they wanted to give, they wanted to partake. It says, and I quote, that they begged for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. I could picture something like Paul and his disciples telling the people in Macedonia, you know what, you guys are in need? Like, keep your money, like, take care of yourselves. We're gonna, God will provide. And the people there be like, no, 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 please let us contribute. We want to contribute. Can you imagine that? Out of their extreme poverty, they begged to partake in the blessing of giving. Then we see that biblical giving entails people giving themselves first to God. See that? It says there that they first gave themselves to God and then by God's will to them, to the saints. What does this tell us? It tells us that if one is not a Christian, and you still give, although it may be materially, logistically helpful, that is of no credit to you before God. So let me give you this warning even more bluntly. To a non-believer, no good work will ever make you right with God. Only the gospel will. So if you're not in Christ, if you're not a, a Christian, this message about giving in the context of church and to give for the glory of God and to help the gospel get through, this message is not for you. The message for you is, there is a God, He is infinitely holy. You are sinful, in need of a Savior. God doesn't need anything from you, but you need God, you need a Savior. And the message to you is, repent from sin, look to Christ, believe in His virgin birth, in His perfect life, in His death, that He died in your place for what you deserved, and He rose again on the third day, defeating death, defeating sin. Believe in that, trust Him, repent from your sins, and you will be saved. That's the message for you, if you're not part of God's people. Then, as you become a child of God, as you seek obedience, as you seek the Lord, then He'll give you the conviction and the growth to be able to contribute, to be able to give. But not before then. Because there it says that they gave themselves first to God and then to the brothers and sisters. The other aspect about biblical giving that we see here is that it is consistent. Paul says that the church of Philippi had been in partnership with him since the beginning. But then there was a period there which they didn't have the opportunity for, we don't know uh, the logistics, maybe they had no way of making it uh, to Paul or, or what have you. But it does say that in verse 16, it says that they gave once and again, consistency in giving. The work of the gospel never stops. And the, practic the practical and human needs of those working in the gospel, of the work of the church, of the expenses of the church, it never stops. It's something that's ongoing. So consistency. Now it mentions something 
uh, going back to the Philippians passage, about the administering of the gifts. It says that there was giving and receiving. This speaks of the need to rightly steward God's provision. Right? Once people partner with the gospel, there is a great responsibility of how those resources are, resources are managed. The language used there, it talks about a very careful financial transaction. This is not just, oh, yeah, we'll throw it in a pile and we'll see if we need something and not have accurate accounting of it. No, it gives us a principle and understanding, not only here, but elsewhere in Scripture, that those that are managing finances when it comes to God is very, very important. We've heard horror stories of the lack of accountability in finances once they are found out, right? Even recent examples in which a very prominent ministry was channeling money to the top person who was using the money to pay off women he had been involved with. How can that happen? Like, of course, the guy is in sin and that should be reprimanded. But what about the people administering the money? How could they not know? By God's grace, we are blessed to have accountability in the finances of this local church. There is no such thing as hidden expenses or private expenditures. No, the books here of the church and of any church should be open to the membership. And they are. When it comes to power, money, sex, do not trust men. It needs to be an, an accountability. Right? Because our sinfulness will creep in. And if we go unaccounted for, it will be to our detriment and ultimately to the shame of the gospel. So having explored then the kindness of the giver, the thanksgiving of the recipient, and some biblical principles in giving, that was more or less the main part of the sermon. Now let's let, uh, touch up on, on the two other points. The second one of that being that biblical giving brings blessing for all involved. Let us read verses 17 and 18. It says, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So, is Paul blessed by the generosity of the Philippians? You bet. Yes. And nevertheless, Paul had made it clear elsewhere that if he could help it, he actually didn't want to be dependent on gifts, right? He didn't want that to be an obstacle. So, in other passages, it tells us that Paul worked in order to provide for himself, right? He didn't he, he wasn't a freeloader on for a free ride from the church. Paul didn't do that. Nevertheless, he was blessed by the gifts of the Philippians. And yet, even a more joyous aspect of the giving that Paul was experiencing, he tells us that it's not the tangible blessings he's receiving from those gifts, but rather, he was more excited that the Philippians were showing their spiritual maturity as they gave sacrificially with joy because their obedience was going to be rewarded. That's what he was most excited about. God was going to reward them. So let us ask, does the text give us an indication of the motive of the Philippians? Yeah, they were eager, joyful. They had a, a wealth of generosity. Their motivation was genuine for the work of the gospel to help Paul. We get the indication then that whatever it was, their motivation, we see some of it, it was not selfish. They were not attempting to trick God into blessing them. They were not doing that. It's a very important difference. Why do we need to point this out? Because 
one of the lies of the so-called prosperity gospel is that if you give money to them, that God will then bless you. There's like a special formula. You know, you give a hundred, God will give you a thousand. You give a thousand, God will give you ten thousand. There's no such thing. That's a lie. That's garbage. That's a false gospel. So then if we give to the church with the purpose of getting something back, getting the blessing back, what is it that we're actually exposing? If the church is telling us to do that, it shows the greediness and the corruption of that so-called ministry. And if we are suckered into doing it for that reason, it also exposes our corruption and our selfishness. Cool, I give and then they're going to give me more. You see that? Double exposure. Since Paul knows that the Philippians are giving out of their love for God and love for the gospel, Paul knows that they're going to be blessed. Paul makes it clear that God has supplied and will keep supplying his needs. So he is blessed as well. Paul is blessed and the Philippians are going to be blessed because their partnership with the gospel and their generosity is not within a hidden agenda. Is not so that they can then get back more. No. Then Paul also makes it a reference into the sacrificial giving as a sort of fragrant and pleasing sacrifice to God. This is alluding to Old Testament language where people would come and they were uh, offering their animal sacrifices unto God. It says that that was a pleasing aroma. That was pleasing, fragrant aroma to God. Let us look at Hebrews 13, 16. It tells us, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Right? It's no longer about sacrificing in the Old Testament sense, but now we offer out of the abundance that God gives us back to the work of the gospel, to our brothers and sisters. So then Paul says here in verse 19 that by their generosity, God will be taking care of the needs of the Philippians. It says there in verse 19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So just like we had a verse last sermon about, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We learned the correct application of that verse. Hopefully now we can learn the correct application and context in which this verse is giving. When we give generously, sacrificially, trusting in the sovereignty of God for the work of the gospel, because that has taken a priority in our lives, what is it then that applies to us as believers with that type of devotion when we make that partnership real in our lives? Then God will supply your every need according to his riches. You see that? A bad application of this, and unfortunately it's typically the way that we try to apply it or we see it quoted, it goes something like this. Man, I've made all kinds of foolish decisions in my finances, in my businesses, and now I'm in this horrible situation. And I know a verse I can claim so that God can bail me out. Right? We don't want to suffer for our foolishness in our financial decisions or in our mismanagement of the money without having any regard for where our partnership with the gospel places in there. We don't want none of that. But oh, that moment our bad decisions hit us. Oh God, come on, please. You're going to supply for all my needs, please. There is consequences, my brothers and sisters, for our mismanagement of money. And even in God's grace, He even pulls us out of that by His mercy. Let us not forget that. When and if He does, it should lead us to repentance for us to be able to manage our resources in a godly manner, to abide in the obedience of stewardship. Because that matters. So then partnering with the gospel, the recipients are blessed, 
The givers are so blessed, but it's never done with an expectation in mind. It's very important. When that happens, then what happens? God is glorified, which leads to our third point. It says in verse 20 there, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul, no doubt, is thankful to the Philippians for their contributions. But ultimately, the glory, honor, praise, the worship, ultimately, in thanksgiving goes to the one who has given all to God. God is the one who has, by His grace and through His Holy Spirit, convicted, guided the believers to give, to be discerning of God's Spirit when there's a need, for them to want to give, for them to beg, to please let me partake in this giving. It is only God's grace that's able to do that in the minds and hearts of people for them to give. If not, can't do it. Or even if you give, you give begrudgingly. It is only God that will grant this kind of generosity to His people. God is the one who has changed their hearts, their minds, their priorities, given them maturity in the gospel in order for the Philippians to become partners, genuine partners in the gospel with Paul. And therefore, Paul has nothing else to do but he breaks out in just doxology, worship to God. All glory be to God for His goodness. So then, what have we learned today? Well, many things, right? But let's try to recap a couple of things here. Let us not forget that God uses His people for furthering His gospel. Are you part of God's people? And if so, are you being obedient to partnering in the gospel with what God has provided you? Secondly, is our giving joyful and sacrificial? As we learn, biblical giving is out of each person's accord, never forced. And it ultimately should produce a joy in us to give. So let us ask ourselves this question. When was the last time that God gave me discernment or conviction to give either directly to the work of the gospel within the church or to a, a fellow saint in need? And to give in a sense and in a fashion that would not be normal, like the world would think you're crazy for giving that much or in that manner. Has God convicted us to give in such a manner? And if so, do we obey? Or do we kind of pass the ball? Oh, I mean, you know, so-and-so has more money. Maybe they could. Is it sacrificial? We're reminded of Second Samuel. In the passage where it describes how David was going to build an altar to God and lay some sacrificial offerings there. The owner of that land and of what David needed to put this altar and sacrifices together was the name of the name of Arauna. And he was going to give David what he needed, the threshing floor and the animals. David, my king, here you go. And this is what David said, 2 Samuel 24, 24. But the king said to Arauna, No, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. Is my partnership with the gospel sacrificial? Am I giving something up to partner with the gospel? Am I giving up certain comforts, certain treats? to partner with the gospel? Is this self-denial when I partner with the gospel? Or, to that matter, provide an immediate need for another saint? Or do I put my needs and my wants and my comforts and my luxuries first? 
And then lastly, why is this important? Why, why should we talk about giving? Why does the scripture talk about giving and kind of gives us a reality check for us to check ourselves? Why? That's when we need to realize that part of the reason is because we have been the recipients of God's giving. God already gave his best. God the Father sent Jesus, his son, God in the flesh, in order to provide for our needs. So God is the first giver. God is the one who has given us above and beyond what we ever deserved. And a sign that we understand that, that we grasp that, and that we apply that in our lives, is that we want to be givers as well. And in our human nature, the most difficult way to give is finances. Let's just be real, right? Like, oh, I could help you here and there with maybe around the house or to... A physical need which is important too right we should help each other but when it comes to money like i'm not going to get nothing back that's where it's hard for us if we are honest right because we value money we value money a lot so how we manage and prioritize money says much says a lot about our spiritual state that's just what we see in scripture right god has been gracious to provide us with money, right? It's His. He provides it to us. And now the question to us is, that provision that God has given us, it could be just enough for what we think we need, or it could be above and beyond what we need. Are we generous? Does your money own you instead of you owning money? It's a question that only we can answer. We have sometimes this carnal fear that if I give, if I partner with the gospel, if I help out a brother or sister in need, I'm going to come up short. Or I'm going to interrupt my comforts and luxuries and gadgets that I need, which you actually don't need, right? And many times it is that fear that robs us of our joy to partner in the gospel. Let us take a look at two quick scriptures here. Proverbs 11.24 says, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. See? We see this principle in scripture over and over again. If you're hoarding, if you're fearful that if you give, you're going to run out, you're always going to be feeling like you don't have enough. 2 Corinthians 9.6, it reads, The point is this, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Right? Pretty self-explanatory. Do we have the conviction then that we can be better stewards? Can we be better givers? And in a sense, again, I apply this challenge to me. As much as I throw it to you, right? And in a sense, I kind of feel okay about pushing this because if increasing happens in this church, I'm not benefiting from it directly, right? So it's like, oh, of course, Gerardo wants more people to give because he's going to buy. No, <laughs> that's not the case, right? So therefore, it's a challenge for me and equally to you for the church and for specific needs of the brethren. And let us not be swallowed up in the trap that, well, you know, if I have more, I would give. That's a lie. You're never going to give. If you're not faithful with little, you will never be faithful if God ever blesses you with more. Remember those people here gave out of their extreme poverty see that there should be an a conviction a 
a feeling of, I've been given so much, how am I not going to give to the work of the gospel so that others can hear the, the saving message, so that others can be blessed, even with the need that they have, right? There's a quick uh, reminder that there was a family that their mother was not doing too good. The, uh, the siblings, the majority of them, actually all of them except for one, were pretty wealthy. And when time came to prepare for the funeral expenses of the mother that was going to pass, they all, you know, they, they contributed. And the one sibling that was not well off, he also gave. That's an honorable man. See, he could have easily said, well, I don't need to give. My, my siblings are rich. That's an honorable man. How much more with the work of the gospel should we be diligent? I'll close with this verse, the words of Jesus, Luke 16, 10. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is dishonest in much. My brothers and sisters, if you have little, be faithful with that. And a conviction I have is that perhaps I already have much and I'm already being dishonest with much. May it not be, my brothers and sisters. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to the close of the book of Philippians on how to imitate Christ, on how to look to the humility of Christ, on how to rejoice knowing that we can do all things through our Savior who gives us strength, who gives us provision, who provides for all our needs. Lord, ignite in us a spirit of generosity, Lord. That there would never be a need amongst the saints at Acts Reformed Church. And that we would be generous, Lord. That our priorities would be to contribute to your work. So that we could be edified and so that you can be glorified. May all glory be to you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.